a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The 2023 supercar season is just days away. The Gen 3 era will officially kick off on Friday with practice for the Newcastle 500. The teams will head to Newcastle with a sense of progress on the parity debate with some positivity coming out of the VCAT rerun in Tomorrow last week. It appears the Camaros will have a slight balance change in a move that appears to have equalised the aero between the two cars. Questions remain over the engine performance of the Ford and the Chev V8 units though, with tweaking on that front likely to continue into the season. In other Gen 3 news, some crucial rules such as weight and fuel drop have finally been determined. The total minimum dry weight for the new cars will be 1135 kilograms, which is 65 kilograms lighter than the Gen 2 cars. That includes a minimum 725 kilograms over the front axle and 95 kilograms of driver ballast. As for refueling, the fuel drop has been set at 100 litres for Newcastle, 40 litres less than usual to deal with the slower fuel times. Grove Racing has added Porsche factory sports car driver Kevin Estra to its supercars enduro lineup. He joins regular drivers David Reynolds and Matt Payne and reigning Bathurst 1000 winner Garth Tander in the four-man lineup. The South Australian government is claiming the 2022 Adelaide 500 drew a $51 million economic benefit that eclipses the previous record of $45 million from 2019 and included 12,000 interstate visitors and a total of 96,671 visitor nights. Speaking of Adelaide, Formula One star Valtteri Bottas will make an appearance at the Adelaide Motorsport Festival this month where he will drive an Alfa Romeo GTV touring car and perhaps a supercar as well. Philip DeFazio has been announced as Tim Slade's engineer at Premier Racing for the 2023 supercar season while Newlon will back Slade's car for the season opener. Mason Kelly, son of Bathurst 1000 winner Todd Kelly, will make his debut in the supercar system in Newcastle. He'll race in Super 3, driving the same Nissan Altima that Todd raced for the last time in Newcastle in 2017. And he'll be joined on the Super 3 grid by third-generation racer Jet Johnson, who will drive a Team Johnson Nissan with support from Kelly Racing. Motorsport Australia will launch an investigation into the finish of the rollover-affected Trans Am race in Tasmania recently. There have been reports of red flags shown in the aftermath of the crash that caused confusion over the finishing order. The governing body has also revealed the findings of its latest TARGA investigations, with the discipline set to undergo a hard reset with 94 recommendations, including speed limits, new licenses, and on-stage markers for black spots. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I think accounted for a good 90,000 of those visitor nights for the Adelaide 500. He was there for so long, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week, my friend? Hello, Andrew. I'm excited for the Newcastle 500 this week, but it does feel like we should be heading to Adelaide at this time of year. You want to go back? You want to add add a few more visitor nights onto your uh, onto well, your incredible. I'm, I'm missing the Fringe Festival. Well, that's true. Yeah, we'd normally. What's that little? Uh, what's that little like beer garden area over in the park there? That's normally up and running this time of year. What's it called? I uh, I should know that as the uh, the great brand ambassador for Adelaide, uh, the Garden of Unearthly Delights. There it is. There, that's it. That's it. That does sound pretty good. We've had a couple of good nights there. So um, anyway, we're not going to Adelaide. We're going to Newcastle instead, a place we used to go at the end of the season. It is all quite confusing, but as you mentioned, it's a time to be excited. Uh, There's a new supercar season upon us. It's the dawn of the Gen 3 era, the return of the Newcastle 500 for the first time since 2019. So there's plenty for us to be pretty up and about, about. I think we should kick off with our 
season preview. Obviously, there are a lot of unknowns with these new cars going to the new season. Um, the whole parity thing has muddied the waters even more. Now, just to run through exactly where we're that where we are at with that, there was a rerun of the VCAT Aero test at the Tomorrow Aerodrome last week. Um, by Thursday evening, there were some positive noises coming out of the Ford camp regarding the Aero at the very least. Um, the outcome appears to be an adjustment to the to the front Camaro Aero to put a bit more balance on the nose. Uh, from what I understand, that was the easiest way to solve the issue. Trying to tweak the Mustang would have meant more significant changes to the rear wing, and we're doing it this way is a, is a small change to the trailing edge on the, on the front splitter of the Camaro. Um, there are question marks ongoing with the motors. I think we could see some mapping and shift cut changes being sampled across the first few rounds, once we have some more real-world data on how these engines perform relative to, relative to each other in competitive sessions. Um, and I think that's kind of the key now, Stefan. You know, it's it, it's been so hard to tell where everything has actually sat, and we, it'll be hard to tell where everything really sits until we actually get a few quality and race sessions under our belts at some different circuits to find out how these cars perform when there can be no question marks over whether people are trying that hard or not. Yeah, and there's so many variables with uh, with a whole new rule package that um, it is going to be be hard to know for a little while. But I think from the news this week, the, the fact that change is being made to the Camaro rather than the Mustang has caught a few people by surprise. Yeah. And as we speak, Supercars hasn't put out anything officially, but um, what they are doing is adding pieces to the front bumper that run up the leading edge of the wheel arches. So this, this isn't something under the car. It'll actually be visible. On the, on the front bumper there. And as you say, it'll move the aero balance slightly forward on the Camaro, but at the same time, add a little bit of drag as well. So Supercars has essentially given Ford what it wanted in terms of addressing the aero balance and the drag, but not exactly in the way that Ford had campaigned for it previously with that rear wing change that they wanted. So there's all that, but then the engine stuff, as you say, that's super important too. So yeah, we're just gonna have to wait to see how it all shakes out on track. Yeah, there's a bit of suck it and see to go with that from what I understand. I mean, we've got all these question marks over these new cars and potential parity minefields and everything, but let's just go and make some bold predictions anyway because it's what we do. We will run through our full top 10 in a minute, but to start things off, uh, let's just cover off a few of the burning questions, Stefan. Uh, I want you to start off by telling me who you think is going to win the championship and why. Well, I'm not going too bold here first up, I've got to be honest, because I can't go past Shane Van Gisbergen for the championship. I think the runs he's put on the board over the last couple of years means he has to start as the favourite, but it's not a sure thing, and he hasn't been too positive publicly about these Gen 3 cars so far, and like all drivers, he has to be in the right headspace to perform, but still, I think it'd take a brave person to bet against him at this point. Yep, and I'm... Not that brave. I'm going to bet right on him as well. Um, I don't have the sense that he's totally on board with Gen 3 just yet, as you just covered off them, but it's just impossible to go past what we've seen over the past two years and and to not expect him and Andrew Edwards to figure it out and become pretty hard to beat at some point in the season, probably sooner rather than later. Um, and I think it's a bit like you know Shane in the rain. He always says he really doesn't like it, but that doesn't mean he's bad at it, and I think it might be the same. I mean, these, lo- these lower downforce cars with this focus on tyre management that everyone's talking about should really suit him. And if it's easier to pass, his overcut strategy is going to be even more potent 
So you know, there's there's a lot of the a lot of the the pieces in place for him uh, to go out and win another championship, and uh, yeah, to be tough going against him. Um, I guess the next logical question is who we think could be the biggest threat to dethroning SVG if that were to happen. And this is just a tough one with the question marks hanging over the parody stuff, you know, because I still can't shake. I know your team parody, Stefan, but I just can't <laughs> quite shake the. Uh, I can't quite shake. That, that feeling that, you know, that this engine thing could still cause a few issues early in the season. I mean, Cam Waters and Chaz Mostert are the absolute obvious choices, um, but they're just the, the Mustang thing just kind of, yeah, it's it's sort of, it just lingers there. But anyway, if, if either of those guys have a consistent package, which Gen 3 may well provide for them, they could feasibly take it to Giz, you know, as long as they don't drop too much, uh, early in the season, if there are parity issues, they could very much kind of, yeah, uh, uh, this could be the opportunity for them to close that gap on a consistent week-in, week-out basis and actually take the fight to Shane. So I'm going to be a beacon of positivity and work on there being a reasonable level of parity and uh, and have those guys as my uh, as my major threats. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think those two. And if the parity's right, then the DJR guys should be in the conversation as well. But I'll go a little bit bolder and the one I'll throw in here is Brody Kostecki. I really see this Gen 3 rule package as suiting Brody and Erebus with the way they go racing. And Brody is young, hungry. He's not going to get flustered by a car that doesn't handle as well as a Gen 2 car. So it might be a stretch to say he can win the championship considering he's not actually won a race yet. But I think the potential is there for him to really make a mark this year. Yep, that is definitely a good choice. Uh, let's move on to one of our favourite topics, well, a favourite topic of ours, Stefan, and that's who's under the most pressure heading into the season. I'll give you first lash at this one. Well, for me, it's Nick Perkat. Like, it was a career risk for him stepping out of that comfort zone at BJR, but I don't think anyone would have predicted how 22 unfolded for Nick. And I really hope Gen 3 cleans the slate for him and he can get some runs on the board early because we know he's capable and... If you look too, like Walkinshaws has already signed up a very highly rated young talent in Ryan Wood for their Super 2 program. So, yeah, you look yep. at that and just go, yeah, this this only increases the pressure here that Nick's under to perform this year. Yeah, it's pretty hard to go past Nick as the man under the most pressure. I think there's also a fair bit of pressure on teams like Tickford and WAU to use Gen 3 to make the step forward and more consistently take on Triple Eight and perhaps to a slightly lesser extent DJR. Um, that's what this whole rules package is about. And if they don't do that and they don't give the likes of Waters and Mostert, you know, a realistic shot at winning titles, then it's really a wasted opportunity for them. So I think there's pressure on those teams as well to to, to take this opportunity to close the gap and to really make that happen. Well, let's get into it and run through our top tens for the season, Stefan. I'm going to go first. Um, so you. So, you know, well, actually, you can copy my work. Um, I'm sure you won't because you usually beat me in this thing. But anyway, all right, here's my top 10. So this um, is the prediction for the final championship finishing positions for the top 10. Correct. This is my top 10 order at the end of the 2023 season. I don't think I've ever been less confident about <laughs> rolling out a top 10. It's usually a lot easier than this. But anyway, let's let's give it a lash. So I've got Shane Van Gisbergen, Cam Waters, Chaz Mostert, Andre Heimgartner, Brock Feeney, Anton Di Pasquale, Brody Kostecki, Will Brown, Will Davison, and Scott Pye as my top 10. How did yours roll out, Stefan? Well, we will post these on the socials so you can uh, add your own thoughts and compare and contrast out there. But um, I've gone with Shane, Cam, Brock, Chaz, Brody, Anton, Andre, Will Davo, Will Brown, 
and then David Reynolds, who I notice isn't in your top ten at all. No, I just sort of I, I'm I worry that he's he's not gelling with this Gen three package quite enough at the moment, and uh, and I, I hope he can sort of just get his head in the game because the cars are harder to drive, and you referenced it with Brody before about guys just getting on with it, and that's obviously something that Dave's going to need to do at some point. Just go right, I just have to get on and drive this thing as it is. Um, not worry about the fact that it doesn't have the front end feel that I'm used to and all that sort of stuff and just get on with it. And I hope he does that. Um, but yeah, that's why that, and, and the, just the, like I say, there's the lingering concerns over the Mustang is probably why I've gone with like Scotty pie at the end there, because yeah, it's just maybe a little more confidence in the, in the Camaro package delivering at the moment. Yeah. Coincidence. Coincidentally, I've ended up alternating, I think through the whole top 10 Chev Ford, Chev Ford. So, uh, there you go. All right, well, I thought we could use a bit of help previewing the season, given how hard it actually is this year. So I grabbed uh, TV's own Mark Larkin to get his thoughts on what Gen 3 will bring to supercars, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, so look, as someone who loves the technical side of this sport, you must be um, fascinated heading into this weekend for what we're going to see. Well, Andrew, I don't know about fascinated. I do, I do know about busy because <laughs> it's it's interesting. It's not, yeah, I do love the technical part of the sport, Um the, the, the challenge, mate, from where I sit is whilst it's nice to sit around and discuss, you know, front-end geometry and clicks of shock absorber, I, I try and get myself a little bit out of that space and think about, you know, what's important to the people watching the telecast because that's kind of, you know, that's that's what I do now. Um, yeah. And there's, a you know, there's a lot of objectives from Gen 3 that, you know, I, you know, I think are really good and land nice and squarely in that space. So, mate, yeah, I, I'm enjoying the challenge, uh, busy time, and genuinely, genuinely excited about what's ahead. So, you think these cars are? We have gone down the right path with these cars. Obviously, driver feedback has been fairly varied. They got a bit less downforce. They're not going to be quite as nice to drive as a well sorted Gen Two car. But you feel like this is the package that can provide us with what we need to, to, you know, maintain and bolster interest in this category? Yeah, well, it's three parts of that question, isn't it, mate? And if you go back to, you know, what, what are really the primary objectives of Gen 3 and, you know, uh, you know number three, let's, they're in no particular order, but one of them was to not have teams spend all their resources on being, you know, designers and manufacturers of bespoke parts and cars. You know, we can all source from common componentry, which is a smart thing to do. The second thing was to increase manufacturer relevance. And now, as you know, the cars do replicate um, certainly the wind-licked surfaces, the exterior surfaces of the car, now pretty well replicate exactly what their road car-going brethren is. You know, they're, they're a hero car of that, which is great. I mean, let's be honest, just park the new Mustang next to the old Mustang and you'll see what I'm talking about. The old one looks yeah. like a Mazda 121. Yeah. Um, and... You know, thirdly, and I think the most important aspect of all of this, and, and sorry, can I just say right there, mate, I, I think we've made the right decision going. Um, Ford versus GM, Mustang versus Camaro, uh, options are limited. I love the fact that that can continue very much the Ford hold and the Ford GM theme, so that's a tick from me. And then thirdly, where you're pointing to is was to – I guess I like the way I like to frame it is to make these things more challenging for a driver to drive. And we've taken, you know, more than 60% of the downforce off the car. A really important aspect is we've taken off by way of now having some common geometry and suspension components. We've taken off um, 
caster, a lot of caster of the car. Now, I don't need to bore everyone with what that is, but basically it's a front geometry spec that puts a lot of feel back to the steering wheel from the front tyre. A lot of that's gone. Couple that to everything else being different, there is no question that the drivers are going to be challenged more, mate. And I was out at that test day the other day, and an observation I'm already seeing is that those drivers that are a little more dyed in the wall, been around for a while, a lot of muscle memory, uh, and developed great feel uh, for the cars we've had and can articulate what they need back to the engineer, they seem to be agitated more than, say, a younger guy. When I spoke to some of the younger guys or, you know, you know, I'm talking about the, the some of the yep. mid-pack. Um, so I think that in itself is interesting and I think it's great. So if one of the objectives was to challenge the drivers as athletes, as humans, to force them into making errors, um, the more they whinge and kick and scream and bleep, I say tick, great. Do you think driver attitude is going to play a role in who does get on top of these cars? It was something I spoke about with Barry Ryan at the test and he said he really enjoyed the fact his drivers were just getting on with it, you know, accepting the fact that cars aren't as pretty to drive and just getting on with it. Is that going to play a role as we see guys try and get their head around these new cars? That's a good question, Andrew, and I would expect good questions from your department in there, mate. Um because if you could identify who's going to prevail in the early days of, of Gen 3, um, th- there's going to be a lot of, I, I call it white noise, you know, a lot of noise around, um, a lot of frustration around for drivers, uh, you know, and, and it's everything, isn't it, mate? From, you know, they go down to reach for their cockpit adjustable anti-roll bar at the moment, that's not there. Their brake vice is in a different position. The switches on their steering wheel is in a different position. They don't have downforce on the car like they've been used to. They can't feel their front tyres. Their rear tyres are degrading more. You know, they just they can't brake where they used to. When they lock up a wheel, they can't feel it as much. They stop in the pit lane. They're stopping at a different spot. The fuel guy's in a different spot. The fuel flow's in a different spot. The wheel nuts and wheel guns and rattle guns and torques are all different. So there's going to be all of this stuff going on around them, right? So if you can be the driver and the engineer that have an ability to see through that, to push all that other stuff aside that you're not going to be able to influence and make sure what you do is right, you know, by maintaining focus, maintaining discipline, stopping on the mark, not getting frustrated when you lock a tyre, not getting frustrated because you've got to stop and think everyone else is in the same basket. I reckon the driver, and you go to your exact comment about attitude, I reckon the driver and engineer that can focus, maintain composure, make sure that they have got their anti-roll bar in the right place before the start of the race because it's locked in. Make sure they've got their wing setting where they think it's going to be best served. Make sure they've got their roll centres, canvas, casters, shock absorbers adjusted correctly will prevail at the end of the day. We did see the order shaken up, at least for a while, when we went to Car of the Future. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people tipping we're going to see the same thing this year. Who do you sort of feel, you know, could we see Shane Van Gisbergen really challenged this year? Could we see someone beat him to the title, do you think? Or do you expect the cream to rise to the top reasonably quickly? I think our sport always has, always will be a sport as it should that the cream rises to the top. Um, mate, we all know, you know, Andrew, that Shane Van Gisbergen's a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's only been built to be a race driver. His brain has a capacity to think, manage, coordinate what his arms and legs do and what's going on around him um, at a level that, you know, wow, we just don't see. So 
I don't I don't think it matters what you throw at Shane and Shane he's going to get exasperated and frustrated he's going to be hot and bothered in his little cockpit uh, which is smaller and um, you know and, and he's going to struggle with all the things but you know when he pulls his helmet on and he's in the car he'll probably struggle with all that stuff as good or better than, than anyone now does that mean there's not going to be some drivers get frustrated and make little errors yeah I mean you're all hearing the same things I am mate the, these senior drivers many of them are the ones that do look perturbed more to me. So does this mean, you know, for me, I think it was a great time to bring Matt Payne into the sport, you know, rather than last year. Right now is great. Um, I had a chat to uh, Brock Feeney out at the uh, test day the other day, you know, amongst all the noise, man, he was positive, you know. So I, I think it is going to be a time you might see, um, you know, the Will Browns, the Brody Kostecki's, the Brock Feeney's, the, the, these guys might – Start to rattle the other guys if the other guys let them get exasperated. But no, to, to go to your question, mate, I, I think we'd be fools to to rock up to a game. This is this is premium sport. You know, these are athletes at their very best. I, I, I don't ever expect that the crime will change or we'll get overly surprised. You know, the days of privateers popping up out of nowhere are, are long gone. But because this isn't just a change of car, mate, this is a change in the way we go racing, team structure of changes, engine supply and where your engines come from uh, changes. So roles within the team changes. You know, you don't have a – or you won't certainly need a bunch of CAD designers and engineers and manufacturers at the team that then double up as pit lane crew on the weekend. You know, there's going to be a lot of change around that. So it won't just be about will the order mix up as a result of driver. I think if there's any mix up in the order, I think it's going to be as a result of a lot of things. I mean, strategically, Andrew, you're going to stop for longer when you need to do a fuel full, a full fuel stop because the fuel rate flow is slower with all this new fueling equipment we've got, considerably slower. Now, we go to Newcastle, there's a 100-litre fuel drop, which is less than the 140 that we had there a few years ago. So I think you're going to see the net stop time in pit lane to refuel your car will be about the same. But as the year plays out, and you want to stop and you want to think about where you put your car out in the field regarding track position, you're going to have to consider that you're going to be putting your fuel in your car at a much slower rate and it's a bigger fuel cell. So there's, there's so many other things, mate. That you, you know, you're not going to be able to change the wheel nut in a wheel as quickly as we used to if you cross nut a thread. You're just not going to cross, yeah. you know, cross thread a nut, sorry. There's a, there's a, and there's a million of those other little ones in amongst there. Um, vision. Uh, we don't have rear doors on the cars anymore on either of the cars. Um, Gizzy said to me the other day, and it was a good one, he's peripheral vision. Yeah. You know, you use, even through your vision mirror, you use those side rear windows. Mate, that's now full of a fuel filler device and stickers and decals, and it's a tiny window to start with. So vision will be compromised. The cars are wider. You're not going to be able to just charge two and three wide into a corner where you would, I mean, considerably wider. Mate, there's a million of them. I wanted to finish by asking you for a dark horse tip. You sort of uh, you mentioned a few there before. So you see someone like Payne, you know, potentially as a dark horse for the season, or is there anyone else that you sort of think, yeah, they could really spring a surprise this year? Andrew, mate, I, I, I'm not smart at all, but I'm way <laughs> smart enough than for every one of you blokes that do these interviews to ask for the dark horse <laughs> because, um, you know, the reality, it, it, it does that. I, I just think there's so many – so many in the mix, and and it and it's it's got hard, mate, because we are so blessed with this this field. I mean, we got 
the depth of quality in our field is just tremendous. The quality of our teams is tremendous. Um, so, mate, I'm, I'm not even going to, tr- you know, just throw into the mix bumps, mate. We haven't tested on bumps. You know, yep. we cur- curbs. What's all that going to mean and look like when drivers that like to attack curbs start attacking them? You know, and um, I, I know you haven't gone there, and I'm happy to say, mate, I've got the very latest up-to-the-minute report on engines and aero and parity and all that stuff. That's all now looking really good. There's been a few little fiddles at the end to straighten a few things up. Really, really good. That doesn't mean we might not have an adjustment somewhere down the track because this shows up or that shows up, but we're as close as we could possibly expect to get both these cars charging to Newcastle. So, mate, can I make a finishing comment? I am genuinely excited, mate, about seeing those 25 cars with their liveries as big and as bad in your face as they look on the grid. I reckon it's going to be a very, very special moment for the sport. Stefan, we're going to bring our Castro mailbag up the order a bit this week just because it ties into our preseason chat. Now, we put the call out to find out which teammate battles people are looking forward to seeing play out this season. Um, here's a few that people brought up multiple times. So we'll just make a bit of a comment on each of these. Uh, Tickford. I'd expect Cam Waters to continue as a pretty clear team leader here, but for me, the really interesting one is Tommy Randall and the Castrol car. Now, we covered off last year that where he landed in the championship clearly didn't represent his actual performance or his lack of lack of time at Norwell, <laughs> um, but I do feel that he needs to step things up this year and become the clear number two behind Waters and ahead of James Courtney, which is easier said than done. What are your thoughts on, on, the, on the four Tickford cars, Stefan? Yeah, I think that's where the interest is is how big a step Thomas can make in his second year. And I think he's in a good spot with three teammates to bounce off of and with three rookie test days as well that he can use Mm -hmm. even though he's a second-year driver. So my feeling is no matter where he ends up in the championship order, he has to beat James Courtney for it to be a really successful year. Yep, couldn't agree more. Uh, Dick Johnson Racing, this one is fascinating because I think – Anton really should pull clear of Davo given where they are in their respective careers. He probably should have done that last year. But again, Davo was just putting up one hell of a fight. What do you reckon? Yeah, it is a similar tune to at the start of last year that it's on Anton to step up and show that he's at that elite level. And part of that is beating your teammate. But I also think with these guys that in a two-car team, they've really got to be working together really well to keep DJR at the front. Uh, Triple eight. Uh, I still think SVG should have a pretty clear margin over Brock, particularly once the oddities of Gen 3 are sort of ironed out and he's got his head around it. Stefan? Yeah, the question's probably how close Brock can get to Shane rather than whether he can beat him over the season because there was a significant margin between them for most of last year. But the Bathurst 12-hour showed that Brock can outdo Shane in the same car if Shane's not feeling it for whatever reason. So this could be a more interesting battle than uh, many expect. That's true. Uh, the Groves. This is an interesting one. Um, as I sort of mentioned before, I don't think Reynolds has been too impressed with Gen 3 so far. So I do hope he doesn't get too down in the mouth about it and lose form. Um, if he can stay positive, he should be able to stay clear of Matty Payne in his rookie season. What do you think? Yeah, I think the all the signs point to this team building pretty well. And if you look at some of the yeah. people in there, it's some people are calling it Triple Eight South, like they've got a lot going for them. But the danger is that uh, you, you still need the drivers to get the best out of it on track. So Dave can be that guy, but what version of Dave turns up is a little bit unknown. And likewise, I'm excited about Matt Payne's potential, but it's very early for him and 
yeah, I think staying out of trouble in Newcastle will probably be his first box to tick, seeing that he's not driven that circuit um, in any car. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Erebus, this one is uh, is wide open and will be very intriguing. Um, I don't think either of them getting on top would be a massive shock, and I would suspect there wouldn't be much in it. You're obviously well. You've already picked Brody as you know someone who you think's going to really gel with these cars. So do you think he's going to get on top there? Yeah, and that's no slight on Will Brown either. And he had the edge over Brody in year one in their rookie season in 21. And then Brody stepped up last year and, and Will had a few issues that um, that held him back. But certainly both can make a big impact this year. I just think that Brody's background, when you look at the racing he's done and his driving style, I think uh, it's, it's really going to suit him. And finally, Premier Racing. This is one battle I'm very intrigued in. I mean, Tim Slade is the big-name signing that should come in and lead that team. But James Golding has the established engineer. He was the first to have a season-long sponsor locked in. It just has the feeling that he's got the momentum there, and that's something that Slade is going to have to overturn. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree that this is one of the great teammate subplots of the season, and it does appear to be tipped in Golding's favour a little bit. But, um, you know, we saw in the back half of last year that James can be very fast but doesn't necessarily always put it together in the races. And then Slady obviously has more runs on the board, but he's had to go shopping for his own engineer and and that'll be a pretty green sort of partnership in Newcastle. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how these guys go relative to the field but also to each other. Just before we move on from supercars, Stefan, what did you make of Grove Racing's uh, announcement of Kevin Estra for the Enduros today? Yeah, it's a very Grove signing, isn't it? They love shopping from the Porsche store and they they, they couldn't get Matt Campbell this year, so they've opted for the French equivalent. And Estra hasn't driven a supercar before, but he's done four Bathurst 12 hours, so that'll certainly help when he gets to Mount Panorama. And I just think it's an exciting signing for the whole series to have an international like this. And it's, it's slightly brave, but I hope they're rewarded for it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a, it's just a, it's quite an amazing lineup, you know, because you've got this kind of wild card in Kevin, who, particularly in the first year of new set of rules, you know, could come in and, and have an impact and knows the circuit and understands long distance racing around there. And then you've got Gartander, which is the number one draft pick that we didn't even expect to be a draft pick and ends up, you know, mm. getting snapped up by Grove. So it's, uh, that is, yeah, that they've definitely, there's a lot of wow factor when we get to Bathurst about that team. And it could be part of that. Uh, if there is a teammate battle, if it is competitive at Groves between uh, David Reynolds and Matt Payne, they could be vying for the uh, the prize of uh, number one draft pick co-driver. That is very, very true. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Red Bull Racing made a perfect start to the new Formula 1 season in Bahrain with Max Verstappen leading Sergio Perez in a dominant 1-2. Fernando Alonso provided the excitement in the race with a charging drive to third place in a much-improved Aston Martin package. His progress helped with Charles Leclerc's Ferrari breaking down while he was running in the final podium spot. Uh, Oscar Piastri's Formula 1 debut ended with an early DNF due to an electrical issue. In Formula 2, the sprint race win went to Ralph Boschon before Teo Porcher dominated the feature race. And in Formula 3, the wins went to Pepe Marti and Gabriel Bortoletto. Marcus Ericsson won the IndyCar season opener in St. Petersburg after overcoming Pato O'Ward. Scott McLaughlin had been riding contention for victory before a mistake from the Kiwi sent him and rival 
Romain Grosjean into the tyre wall. And William Byron led a Hendrick 123 to win the NASCAR Cup Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, Stefan, just to quickly recap the first F1 race of the season, it really does seem that the, the pre-season predictions are right and we are going to be talking about Red Bull 1-2s a heck of a lot this season. The predictions of a perfect season are already rolling out thick and fast. At least that Aston Martin pace is something to get excited about. Um, how is Sebastian Vettel feeling right now, do you reckon? Well, just on that, I mean, Checo Perez uh, called it a Red Bull one two three because of the talk that uh, Aston has uh, has copied some oh, of wow. the uh, the aero stuff from last year's Red Bull. So um, that that was a bit of fun, but uh, yeah, I can only imagine what Sebastian would have been thinking seeing that car go so fast. But he probably wasn't as antsy as Felipe Drogovic because he was close to actually racing for Aston in Bahrain yeah. due to Lance Stroll's injuries. So that would have been one hell of a car to make your debut in. But, um, yeah, thank goodness for Aston and, and Fernando Alonso because that race would have been pretty dull without uh, them in the mix, I mm. think. Um, obviously, a lot of interest uh, for us is in Oscar Piastri and therefore McLaren. McLaren had a real struggle, but on paper it, it, it looked terrible, but he – Oscar himself didn't seem to do a, a bad job with the opportunities he had. What did you make of his weekend? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. Um, obviously, might have wanted to qualify a little bit better, but in the race, he'd actually worked his way through a few cars. He was on the back of sort of the DRS train behind Norris, so I think his race pace was fairly encouraging until obviously they started to run into dramas with the with the downshift and the steering wheel and that sort of stuff. But I guess that, you know, all he can do at the moment until they do try and get on top of that car and get some updates, which should be coming around Baku, is just look like he belongs there and try and be as close to Lando as he can um, and try and just put together, you know, he's just got to relearn all the racing stuff, you know, and I think it was good for him just to be back in a battle pack and actually, you know, driving around other cars and stuff. But, yeah, like a disastrous debut in terms of, you know, going out a third of the way through the race. But in terms of what he actually did while he was in the car, I think it was pretty promising. Yeah, it's just a shame where McLaren's at. And there's a lot of people comparing McLaren to the Alpine because of what yep. we saw last year. But it's easy to forget that essentially Oscar chose McLaren over Williams um, because yep. that was the Correct. plan that Alpine had for them. So when when Norris was battling with Logan Sargent early on and Alex Albon was a little bit up the road, I was thinking, geez. Like uh, the Williams is more competitive than the McLaren. I certainly uh, yep. wouldn't have picked that. No, absolutely. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Stefan, who gets your Castrol star this week? Well, we've already touched on it, but I can't go past Fernando Alonso. There's just nothing more magical than Fernando in the honeymoon period with a new team. Like from the brilliant overtakes to those cheeky radio messages, it's just so entertaining to watch. And, you know, we were all so close to seeing the other Fernando when, uh, like imagine if Lance Stroll had actually taken him out there on the first lap. Yeah. That would have been a very different story. But, uh, yeah, he was just the star of the week for me, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. And there's certainly no precedent for that relationship to go downhill. I'm sure <laughs> it'll be happy and rosy right to the end. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Formula One thing. I'm actually going to give our star to one of our guests, well, our guest last week, uh, Alex Kalanorkas, Autosports Grand Prix, or Motorsport Network's Grand Prix editor. He nailed his predictions. In terms of what he outlined of who was going to be where from testing, uh, that was quite remarkable uh, in terms of how much he nailed, how good that Aston was going to be, and how dominant Red Bull 
was going to be and how worried Mercedes and Ferrari should probably be about the Aston. So I feel like he set a very high benchmark for how good preseason predictions should be and it just makes me even more nervous about our top 10s that we've just rolled out here because – <laughs> yeah, I'm just not that. I'm just not that sold on it, Stefan. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's 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 where my star's going. I think it just says that supercars is harder to predict than, than F1. Let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. More exciting, more exciting, harder to predict because yeah, we'll we'll learn a lot this weekend. Anyway, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. 